remove your inadequacy or mine. I actually want to accentuate our sense of inadequacy. I want to strengthen it. I want us to leave tonight with a really, really intact, really, really healthy, really, really strong sense, a conviction that we are wholly inadequate. And that'll be very encouraging for everyone who is amongst us tonight. Recently, I had a chance to be reminded of my own inadequacy. Uh, I was leaving to come to church, leaving our home, and I noticed uh, a gecko. That's what you call them, I guess. Here in Texas, we have them in zoos in New York. But you know, this thing, it was in the house. They're supposed to be outside the house, right? This was inside the house. So I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm kind of the man of the house. I've got to protect the family from this monstrous... This is a, hey, you can laugh, but this is like a big one. This was, so, uh, so, so I got the necessary e- equipment. I got to put on my gas mask and I had a spare hand grenade and, you know, a couple swords and knives and first aid kit and copy of my life insurance, the whole deal. And I was just sneaking up on this thing and it sort of moved and I sort of moved, and it sort of moved, and I sort of, and this was going on, and I was just trying to go this way and trying to go, and I had a broom, and I had a pail, and, you know, just all kinds of stuff, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, here comes my wife, kind of pushed me out of the way, picked the goofy gecko up by the tail, and put it outside, and came back in the house, took one look at me, and shook her head, and kept going. Don't talk to me about inadequacy. I know exactly what that feels like. Uh, so I have, at least this week, a fairly healthy sense of my, my own inadequacy, and I want you to as well, because in fact, that is our nature. Don't be fooled. That is, in fact, who we are, and being inadequate is true of even the best of us, as I would like to persuade you tonight as we take a look at the text in uh, Numbers. Bemidbar, it says in Hebrew, in the wilderness. And we're in Numbers chapter 11 tonight, beginning in verse 10. Numbers 11 chapter 10. Give you a chance to turn there if you want to. And I want to show you that even the great leader and lawgiver Moses was thoroughly inadequate for the task. Flawed, defective, limited, even weak. Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And what they were weeping about was food. Uh, They were missing the rather sumptuous and tasty food of Egypt. They're in the wilderness and they were tired of the fare there. And so they're complaining and they're Uh, crying about it, and Moses hears this, and it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses himself was displeased. And so, verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all this people on me? 
Was it I who conceived this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people for? For they weep before me, saving, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I've found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Are you kidding me? That is Moshe Rabbeinu, Hebrew, Moses, the great rabbi. This is the fellow who unilaterally was invited up to Mount Sinai to receive the uh, representation of the moral, holy character of God in the form of tablets containing commandments. He is therefore known as Moses, the great lawgiver. He's chosen to lead this people group through the wilderness wanderings and into the land of promise. Can you believe what he's saying? Can you believe what... What he's doing, I have to tell you something, I am so encouraged by this passage of Scripture. Uh, I hope you are as well. I mean, well, 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 welcome to the real world, which consists of holy and intensely inadequate people. And even the best of men is but a man at best. This is just inadequate Moses. He's been called by God to lead this people, and yet he's not up for the task at all. He really, really falls short. And so he's feeling the burden of all of these people upon himself, and I guess he's realizing, and we are too, his shoulders are just not strong enough to carry the load. His mind is taxed, absolutely overwhelmed, and, well, he doesn't want to go on. He is so pained by the circumstances of life, that emotion just spews forth in a flurry, it's leading him to this conclusion, I would be better off dead. If, in fact, I have found your favor, kill me. That's what it says. Take a look again, verse 15. If you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, don't let me see my wretchedness. And on top of it, he's persuaded he has fallen out of favor with God. God no longer loves him. Verse 11, take a look back at it. Why have you been so hard, he says to God. Why have you been so hard on me, your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight? What a, a rather... Uh, Grotesque misinterpretation of circumstances. He's seeing it to be punitive action by God. He's seeing the throes of life to be an indication that God has withdrawn his love, his affection, and his interest from him. Moses would say, I suppose you once knew my name, but apparently now you have blotted out my name from the book of life. Look what's happening to me. What have I done to bring this upon myself. If you really loved me, Lord, why would you be letting all this happen to me? Have you ever said something like that? Yes, you have. You, good news, are like Moses. 
Moses is like you. He's not in a category above you and me. He's just as inadequate. You are just as inadequate as Moses. Isn't that cool? You and Mo have something in common. Very, very interesting. Moses is thoroughly human. And every human is thoroughly inadequate. So Moses is pouring out his pained and fed up heart. I'm sick of this, says he. I'm tired of it all. If you really loved me, you would kill me right now. Now that's not right. We know that. That's not the right thing to say to God. That's not the right way to look at things. Moses is simply not seeing things correctly. You know why? He's inadequate. That's why. He's depressed. He's a human. He's not God. Circumstances have so overwhelmed him, he can't see straight. He can't think straight. He can't speak straight. That's Moses. That's me. That's you. Welcome to the club. Don't disqualify yourself from the rest of humanity when you experience your own. Take a look at Moses. Thoroughly human. Thoroughly inadequate. Moses knows better in his head, but his heart hurts to the core. And therefore he's spewing forth the language of emotion. This is not the language of reason. It's the language of emotion. Moses is limited. He is flawed. He's imperfect. He is weak. He is not self-sufficient. Moses does not have it all going on. Moses is superbly inadequate. I am so grateful that God is honest about that. And we could take a look at it. Notice again. Verse 15, so if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight. And, and I, I must tell you, God is not going to answer that request. I'm glad that Moses, even at the extremity of emotional need, did not take things into his own hand. He knew even at this point of severe uh, discouragement and despair and depression that he had no right to take his own life so he makes that appeal to God he puts it in the form of a petition kill me no ain't going to happen that's just not the stuff the giver of life is about so, so, so God is going to say no to part A of his prayer now look at part B and do not let me see my wretchedness and God's going to say no to that one too He's going to say, no, Moses, I'm not going to take your life. And, he, and he's going to say, no, Moses, I'm not going to spare you the learning experience of seeing what you're made of. You're a wretch. So are you encouraged thus far with the message this evening? Don't let me see my... We're doing everything in our power. We exert so much energy to fool ourselves into thinking we're better than this. But we're not. And the loving God wants us to see our wretchedness in his overwhelmingly amazing grace stacked up next to it. Don't let me see what I'm made of. Let me see the champion in me. No, I shall let you see the wretchedness which characterizes your 
you're, you're in it. Look, you know how it is, you, me. We walk around with this mask of adequacy. But we know what's behind the mask. Intense fear of being found out for who we really are. An inadequate wretch. Welcome to the club. And if it's Moses, how much more you and I? That's the way it is. Now, why does God do this? Why does God seem intent on strengthening not our sense of adequacy, but our sense of inadequacy? Well, I'll tell you why. He doesn't want us, his kids, to be tempted for one moment into thinking we can be self-sufficient. That is not what a loving God wants. You know what a loving father wants? He doesn't want self-sufficient kids. He wants kids who are desperately dependent on the father whom they never had, him. And to create the hunger, we have to be emptied out. Not filled up with a sense of adequacy. I can be anything I want. No, you can't. You don't even know if you're going to make it home alive tonight. What are you talking about? It's a loving father who says, I must I must let you come to the end of yourself. I must keep you there. So in the emptiness, you cry out, Oh, Father, be for me everything I need. For you alone are the all-sufficient one. And I'm just your needy kid clinging to you for blessing. Do you remember back in Genesis when Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, who in fact is the Lord, and, and, and he said, I, I will not let you go until you bless me? Oh, come on. The Lord could have freed himself from Jacob's grasp, but he didn't want to. He wants to so accentuate our neediness for him that we cry out the same thing, I will not let you go until you bless me. How do you get to that point? You have to be emptied of self. You have to be emptied of self. So that's why God does it. See, he wants us to come to the same conclusion as did another great man, the Apostle Paul, who said, you know what? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak in my own self-sufficiency, then I can be strong, strengthened in the Almighty one. I think it's a biblical principle. So here's how God responds. Verse 16, the Lord says to Moses, I gathered together 70 guys from the elders of Israel, whom you know, bring them to the people and to the tent of meeting, let them take their stand. I'm going to come down, speak with you there. I'll take of the spirit which is upon you. I'll put it upon them. Same spirit on you. I'll put on them. They'll bear the burden of the people with you so that you won't bear it all alone. Does that sound familiar a little with students of the Bible? You know, that kind of thing happened again in, uh, earlier in Exodus 18. Moses was getting tuckered out again, and his uh, father, uh, Jethro, said, hey, 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 you keep doing this. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for the people. You have to delegate responsibility, and now Moses is getting the same lesson. You know why? He's so inadequate, he couldn't get it right the first time. I love this. He has to learn and relearn the same stuff. Do you? Sure you do. Me too. I'm like Moses. So are you. I'm a slow learner just like this character. I don't get it quickly. Just like him. Same message. Same message. 
Very encouraging text. Maybe not for you, but. So here's the Verse 18. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves. Tomorrow you're going to get meat. You'll eat. You, you know, you, you've wept in the ears of the Lord. You said, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. We, you know, we were well off in Egypt. We all do that, don't we? The good old days. So much better. Oh, my goodness. We remember the menu. We don't remember. We selectively forget the mastery that the world had over us. See? But anyway, they say things were better in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat. You'll eat. Verse 19, you shall eat, not one day, not two, not five, ten, twenty, a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils. It becomes loathsome to you because you've rejected the Lord who's among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You know why the people thought that and said that? Because they're all inadequate. That's why. They're inadequate with regard to their gratitude to God, their trust in God, their confidence in God. They're inadequate. The leader's inadequate. The people's inadequate. You're inadequate. Yes, celebrate your humanity. (laughs) My fellow wretches, that's who we are. That's that 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 that's who we are. So why does God, if if they're demanding things amiss, why does God give it to them? Why does God give them what they want? Because a loving father wants to show his kids that what they crave could be their end. Stop craving the things that cannot satisfy. And what does a loving father do? Try it, taste it, sample it, see if it meets your needs. Why don't they know this stuff? (laughs) Well, because they're inadequate people with an inadequate capacity to trust in God's provision and frankly with an inadequate understanding of life. They're just like you, they're just like me. But Moses said, verse 21, the people among whom... I am, are 600,000 on foot. Now, now 600,000 on foot, that means soldiers. So that's just the men who were healthy enough to fight. So we probably conclude the total group was about two and a half to three million when you add in women and children and older people who couldn't go out to war. So, so there's a lot of people there. Let's just say, round it off, we'll say about three million. Uh, Yet you have said, Moses says to God, I'll give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Well, says Moses, should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient? Come on. Are you kidding? (laughs) Moses doubted God's ability to do what he said. He's going to do. Moses, the leader of the people in the wilderness, doubted God's ability to meet the people's needs in the wilderness. That's what he did. That's what the great leader of Israel thought. I love the Bible for its honesty. I'm just like Moses. So are you. 
Therefore, I'm not going to disqualify myself from service. Because apparently God can use inadequate people. (laughs) Who, filled to overflow with his adequacy, can bring glory to his name. And you should not disqualify yourself just because you're confronted with your inadequacy either. So what's the problem here? I mean, Moses doubts God's ability, but Moses was there when God performed miracles. Remember the ten plagues? Remember the parting of waters? Remember, remember, Moses saw this. What's up? What's the problem? It's a human phenomenon. Human memory of past blessings becomes woefully inadequate in the midst of overwhelmingly present circumstances. It's a phenomenal thing. If the day is not going good, then we forget how God took care of us in the past. It's a human phenomenon. I'm just trying to tell you that's the way it is. So the present circumstances are quite overwhelming for Moses, and therefore Moses forgets about the Lord's past miracles and mercies. Oh, my goodness. I am more like Moses than I thought. I do the same thing. So do you. So do you. So what we all do is is what Moses did. We look at problems from a human perspective. And and we stack up our, our limited human resources next to the challenges that face us. And we get really disturbed and even depressed by it because we can't see how to get out of it and what to do. And we presume, therefore, that God is limited as well. That's what Moses did. So Moses had an intensely inadequate perspective on things. So do all of us. And so the Lord reminds Moses that he, God, alone is adequate. Verse 22, the Lord said, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord, gathered the 70 men, stationed them around the tent, and the Lord came down in the clouds, spoke to him, took the spirit who was upon him, placed him upon the 70 elders, and when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, they spoke truth. This does not This is prophecies only infrequently about the future. Did you know that? The gift of prophecy is generally a declaration of God's truth for the day. It's only from time to time about the future. So we're kind of missing things, I think, today. Anyway, these people were able to declare, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, God's truth. But it says they didn't do it again. Why? Because God's not... in into drama and theatrics as an end in itself. God endowed these 70 with a supernatural capacity to impart words of transforming truth to the people directly from God so as to authenticate their new assignment. All of a sudden, these 70 are going to share the burden of leading the people with Moses. And the people would say, who are you? So God endows them with an attesting sign to attest to the authority which he has bequeathed to them. Today, people want miracles and signs and wonders. And I say, why? 
What does it attest to? What does it authenticate? God just doesn't do, he's just not a showman. He's just not engaged in theatrics. So that's why it says they only did it once. Okay, but, but there's an exception. Two men, verse 26, remained in the camp. They didn't go out with the other 70. And they're even named. One is Eldad and the other is Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered to help Moses, but had not gone out to the tent. They prophesied in the camp. So they received uh, God's touch, his spirit upon them in the camp. They didn't go outside the camp. So a young man, verse 27, ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, do something. Restrain them. Put a stop to it. It's unauthorized preaching. And it's going to compete with you. And Joshua had such concern for Moses, he forgot about what would be good for the entirety of the people. But Moses gave the right response. Verse 29, he said, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So Joshua, the son of Nun, thought what these guys were doing would detract from Moses' authority, you see. Moses was the senior guy. Nobody else could speak the word of God. And so they, Joshua was defending Moses' authority and reputation, and he was totally amiss in so doing. Why? Because Joshua was really inadequate. Do you know who this Joshua is? Oh, my goodness. This is the guy who's going to replace Moses. This is the guy, Joshua, who's going to lead Israel. This is the guy who's going to lead them into their land of promise. This is so great. Because not only is Moses inadequate, so is Joshua. This is so cool. I just love this. I'm not only... Like Moses, I'm like Joshua. Don't you feel good about your inadequate selves? Folks, don't you see? It is only a wholly adequate God who could make such use out of such wholly inadequate ones, such as Moses and Joshua and you and me. So, verse 30, Moses goes back to the camp, he and the elders, and there went forth a wind from the Lord. It brought quail from the sea. Let him fall beside the camp at a day's journey. All around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. Folks, it's hard to know this, but there was a miracle here in verse 31. Uh, actually, a many-faceted miracle, because this is not the normal flight pattern for quail in the Middle East. God sent a wind to change their direction so they would alight in the area where the people were. There's an interesting play on a word. The Spirit of God, a few verses before, alighted on the people. And the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. And now we're seeing the word wind, how God turned the wind so as to direct the quail to his people. The Hebrew word for wind is also ruach. 
spirit and wind, ruach. So first you have the spirit of God, ruach, blessing 70 elders with prophetic gifts. And now you have the wind of God, ruach, blessing the people with food. So verse 32, the people spent all day, all night. The next day gathered up all this quail and spread it out for themselves around the camp. And while the meat was still between their teeth, if you can envision it, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. And the name of the place was called Kibrot Hata'ava, which means the grave of greed. The graves of lust. You know what they did? They gathered much, much more than they needed for the day. Why? They did not trust God for tomorrow. They hoarded it. <laughs> because they didn't think they could count on God to provide for them tomorrow. They distrusted God's goodness, you see. You know why they did that? Because they're inadequate. Thank you. I think you're getting the theme. <laughs> the people inadequately trusted God. Moses was inadequate. Joshua was inadequate. You. Yeah, me too. We are really, really plumb inadequate. You've got to realize this about yourself. Otherwise, you'll think you can be self-sufficient, self-dependent, self-reliant. You know what you'll think? You will buy into the mantra of the day. Believe in yourself. You know, that's what we're telling our kids in school today. Believe in yourself. You know how dangerous that is? When they run into one of life's problems, giant-sized problems, that overwhelms them, they don't have any place to go for outside help. Because you've been telling them to believe in themselves. You didn't tell them to believe in Almighty God. You just said believe in yourself. Well, when themselves, their self, can't stack up, can't, is unfit to meet head-on one of the giant-sized challenges of life, they don't have any place to go. Believe in yourself? Oh, my goodness. We're frail. We're flawed. We're weak. We're prone to sin. It is our nature, by the way. We age. We're subject to germs, to bacteria, to disease. We trip. We get into accidents. We fall down. We make mistakes. We have misunderstandings. We know things only partially. We're misinformed. Come on. We're really, really, really inadequate. You have to know this, otherwise you believe in the mantra. You can be anything you want to be. That's what we tell our kids. Why? Because we want to build up their self-esteem. Are you kidding me? Esteem someone, a human, who's subject to the aging process, subject to disease, subject to sin, subject to flaws, subject to misunderstanding, subject to greed, subject to lust. Sub Believe in yourself? Oh, no. No. Know yourself. You're inadequate. Believe in God 
who's the only adequate one and who loves you in spite of your inadequacies. A much better message. You see, you have to accept your you-ness. And you have to accept God's holy other than you-ness. He's the only self-sufficient one. So what you want to be doing in the days ahead is to develop a stronger sense of your own inadequacy. You want to really, really develop a profound understanding of your own inadequacy. And you'll know you have accomplished that mission. You'll know you have a healthy sense of inadequacy when, a couple guidelines, one, you're not surprised by it. Two, you realize everybody else is afflicted by it. Three, you don't disqualify yourself because of it. Four, you're less defensive when people recognize it. So recently, a guy criticized me for something. He was right. I inadequately performed in a certain task. He was correct. It really hurt me, though. He was not hurtful. He was tremendously discreet and tactful, but his very legitimate criticism was intensely painful to me. It was disproportionately painful, and I had to realize why. <clears throat> I'm fighting to persuade myself I'm not who he thinks I am, but I am that inadequate guy. He's right. And then I thought, oh my goodness, he doesn't even know the half of it. I'm really doing pretty good. He's only criticizing me for the inadequacy he sees. <laughs> he doesn't have any idea how much more there is. So if you have a healthy sense of inadequacy, you will be less defensive when people see it in you and point it out. Fifth, you have a healthy sense of inadequacy when you depend more on God because of it. And finally, you have a healthy sense of inadequacy if you are grateful to God for his grace bestowed upon you in spite of it. In 1834, a man named Edward Mote wrote words. Uh, he intended to put it to uh, music, and he wanted to just uh, encapsulate some of the essence of the Christian life. And he scribbled words on a little piece of paper. He put it in his pocket. And he went to visit a friend whose wife was uh, ailing and in the process of dying. And there in the home, uh, I don't know what moved him, Edward Mote. He reached into his pocket and pulled out this little sheet on which he had scribbled the words. And he read it to the whole family. And he found that they were so encouraged and built up by the words that when he took leave of the family, he went home and completed the task. Uh, he filled in the words and added some verses to it, and it became a very well-known and classic hymn, which uh, today is known as the Solid Rock. It has a very familiar chorus on Christ, the Solid Rock. I stand. All other ground, self-confidence, self-reliance, all the rest is sinking sand. All other ground is seeking sand. And one of the verses to the songs, you're familiar with, to the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Edward Mote in 1800s had a healthy sense of inadequacy. He knew he was not the rock. <laughs> he was not buying into any worldly philosophy that said, look to yourself, have confidence in yourself. You can be anything you want to be. You can fix the world. You are the world. <laughs> you and I have polluted the world. You can go green all you want. It ain't going to fix it because we have to go red. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The environment is not polluted because <clears throat> I, ha I have a big car. <sighs> it's polluted because I corrupted it in my sin. And I'm not going to fix it by using a different kind of light bulb. <clears throat> I'm going to fix it by taking to heart these marvelous words. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All, uh, let's sing it. Sing with me. On Christ the rock I stand. All...